So our scripture today uh, comes from the book of Jonah, and um, we all know everything about Jonah, right? There's a whale, and that's it. There's so much more to this story, and this is the conclusion of a series on the book of Jonah. And uh, um, we've been using this sort of idea, understanding of who Jonah is, to understand about calling and how God has a call on all of our hearts. And, and there's so much more to this story, uh, and uh, we're at the conclusion of it today. And I'm going to share the fourth chapter of Jonah. It's not terribly long, uh, just about uh, 11 uh, verses or so. And um, I'm going to read through that uh, for you today as we uh, launch into this conclusion of the story of Jonah. And it, and it picks up kind of in the middle of what's going on at the end of the story, um, but I'll refresh that. I'll fill in the blanks here in, in just a little bit. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to that city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about that plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though it did not, you did not tend it. Or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there were more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? It's an odd way to end it, but that's the end to it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when I, uh, when I got to seminary, um, one of the classes, uh, the first classes I took uh, was Pastoral Care 101. And it, the, the class was taught by a teacher that I didn't know at the time, but she was renowned among seminaries for her teaching, um, for her, her, the books that she wrote, or the articles that she wrote, and things like that. Um, uh, Dr. Peggy Way was her name. Um, Peggy has since passed away, but Dr. Way um, was, was well known. Um, she did not seem to have a pastoral approach to teaching, though, I'll tell you that. Um, she was tough, but we all loved her. Um, Dr. Way would show up to class 10 minutes late 
every single class. Um, she was in a wheelchair. She uh, had MS, but also had been in a car accident that had uh, taken her husband's life and, um, and, and disabled her even more. And so uh, she suffered um, with that. Uh, but she comes to class for the first day of class introduces herself, and then says to the classroom of my fellow students, who I'd spend the next three years in seminary together with, and, and she says, how many of you in this room would consider yourself a conservative Christian? And I'm looking around, and there's one other guy over there. And that's it. Kind of set the tone for my whole seminary experience. And um, the rest of the class kind of laughed. And then she well, she said to us, first person to come to your desk at your next church will be a, a black feminist lesbian. And the class laughed even more. And then she said, don't laugh, because the first person to come to the rest of your desks is going to be a white conservative male. <laughs> it was her way of saying, probably when you end up in ministry, there will be people that you didn't expect to be in ministry with. That you're thinking, I'm not sure I signed up for this. I'm not sure these are the people that I, I'm called to serve. I'm not, I, I don't know if this is where God is leading me. I, I'm pretty sure that when I get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of people there that I'm going to go, huh, didn't expect to see you here. Don't you suppose? I, I love the scripture, we use it often in, in uh, funerals, uh, that scripture that says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back for you. It's a wonderful scripture that, that tells us that at least we're going to have some walls in between us. I mean, God forbid we should bunk with somebody that we didn't like in this life. And, and it would be equally as bad for them. It wouldn't be heaven for either of us. It's, it's fair to admit there are some people in our lives that just aren't our favorites. And that's the exact problem that Jonah deals with. We've been using the, the story of Jonah to explore our understanding of, of being called to ministry. Everyone is called to ministry. Not everyone is called to ordain ministry like myself. And we often talk about it as pastors you know, will say, well, this is my story of my call to ministry. And we can identify that and name the time that it came to us and the recognition, the dawning moment, those sort of things. But, but that's our calling to a particular ministry. Every one of us is called to ministry. Nobody gets off. God doesn't save you because of you. God saves you for the purpose of ministry in his name. Every one of us is called to ministry. And we've been, we've been taking the, the story of Jonah to talk about that call, but here we are in an age of quitting. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that. People uh, it, it, at work, you probably noticed it. Uh, people seem to leave their jobs more often than, than ever before. And, uh, but we also see it in, in church work and volunteer work and things like that, that, that people uh, are quitting. And what I hear often, not, not just associated with quitting, what I hear often is that people will say this, I just feel like I need to do something for myself. 
I am so glad that on Good Friday, Jesus didn't go, cross, nah, I need to do something for myself instead. The image of the way to do something is to give yourself for others. You want to know what it, what it is and what's important in life. It is to give yourself to others. As a matter of fact, you refresh yourself more when your life is spent for others. How do we know? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. But Jonah, well, there's something insidious about this whole story of Jonah about his whole call. And, and so let, let, me, let me just refresh the story one more time um, so that, that, that you know where we're at in this story. Jonah is a prophet of God. Now, almost all the time, the prophets of God, God said, um, go, go to the temple and pronounce uh, a word against certain people. But not for Jonah. He says, go to the people. Go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital city of uh, the empire of Assyria. Back in that day, 726 BC, um, the Assyrian army came, um, and it's kind of weird because they come from the Persian Gulf and they go through the fertile, what they call the Fertile Crescent, because you don't want to go straight through Saudi Arabia to get to Israel. That would be unwise. There's no water in between. But if you follow the Fertile Crescent, it, it goes up the Tigris-Euphrates River and then comes around and comes down from, from the north, comes south to Israel. And back in that day, Israel was divided into two countries. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Jerusalem is in Judah. So that northern kingdom in 726, 727 B.C. is, is taken over by the people of, of Assyria. Nineveh is their capital. So it's safe to say they didn't like the Assyrians. Jonah doesn't like the Assyrians. Jonah hates the Assyrians. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh because I want you to speak against their behavior. There, in that location, in that, don't go to the temple Go to Nineveh and tell them how wrong they are. And, and Jonah says, no thanks. And gets in a boat and heads the opposite direction. Heads for what they call Tarshish. Now, Tarshish isn't a city we can identify. Tarshish probably meant was headed toward a port city. He was going to the beach to get away from his calling. Now, there he is in the boat, and the, the sailors in the boat are professional sailors, and the storm is so bad that they fear for their life, and, and they're, they're calling out, what, what's happening? Why is this happening? Jonah goes, that's ah, me. It's me. God's, God's mad at me. Well, what do we do? Well, ah, throw me overboard. We can't do that. He goes, no, really, that's, that's what you have to do. You have to throw me overboard. And so first they pray, God, forgive us, and they toss him over. By the way, the storm stops right then, but Jonah goes down. And God, the story tells us, God provides a giant fish. There's no whale in this story. God provides a giant fish to swallow him up. His salvation smells like fish guts. God provides a, a, a fish to swallow him up. Now, while he's in the belly of the fish, 
He prays a prayer. It's, it's like a psalm. He prays a prayer, and it's a prayer of repentance. It's not a prayer that goes, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll ser serve you forever. No, it's just, uh, God, I praise you. I was, I was in trouble, and you saved me from that trouble. I was drowning, and, and you provided my salvation. God, I praise you. Thank you. He's not even out of the fish yet, and he's praying this prayer. He doesn't know if he's getting out of the fish, and he's praying the prayer. And God provides the fish to take him to the beach and spit him out so he can head to Nineveh, about 1,800 miles by foot, smelling like that. And he begins the trek to Nineveh. Now, he gets to Nineveh. And Nineveh is um, so big that when he begins his preaching tour through Nineveh, it takes him three days to preach all the way through it, to, to speak to everybody. Remember the, that scripture just told us, 120,000 people. It takes him three days to preach to 120,000 people. It takes me a few days longer. So it's just a joke about attendance on Father's Day. Thank you all for being here. <laughs> Takes, takes a few days long. Takes him three days to, to preach to 120,000 people. And what happens? In, in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 and 10, I'm not going to read what's in between, but you'll get the flavor of it. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they, had, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That's the God we love and trust, right? A God of grace. A God who relents from condemnation and chooses salvation. The Old Testament we always think is this awful, angry, heinous God, but not here. Here he chooses salvation over destruction. Aren't we all glad we have that kind of God? If it weren't for the fact that we have a God that chooses grace, we'd all be doomed to destruction. But in God's grace, we have salvation through Jesus Christ to fall back on, even when we don't deserve it. I'm glad we have that in our back pocket. When we get to the pearly gates, we pull out that card that goes, see, saved. It says right here. It's our get out of hell free card. I'm in, Peter. Let me in. It says so on the card. I have my salvation. I get in. But here's the insidious part of this story. These hated Ninevites, the hated people of, of Assyria, including their king, all repent. Jonah knew it would happen. He didn't want it to happen. Jonah would rather see the people in that city burn like Sodom and Gomorrah. No self-respecting Jew of that day wanted the Assyrian people, with Nineveh as their capital, to have faith in God. They wanted only death and destruction. Psalm 137 speaks to this. 137 is written probably about 150 to 200 years later. The Assyrian Empire was big, but the Babylonian Empire was bigger. And they wiped out the Assyrians and came back around that fertile crescent 
and took out the southern kingdom about 587 B.C. And took the people there into slavery in Babylon. But it's the same sort of feeling they had toward them. And they record this in a psalm, Psalm 137. They record the anger that they have. It begins with, by the rivers of Babylon, we hung up our, our harps, meaning we're not going to sing praises to God because we are so bad. And then it goes on to this in verses 8 and 9. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Holy cow, that's in your scriptures. I mean, you didn't like when I was quoting the scripture about, about the dog returns to his vomit, but look at this. I, I, would, I would caution you in understanding this. The way I, I use this, this piece of scripture often is in teaching prayer. What is, what, is, what is out of bounds and what is in bounds in prayer? Well, this is a prayer they said in worship. It sounds like pretty much anything's in bounds in your prayer, but not in your action. Nowhere does it record that the people of Israel grabbed the, the Babylonian people's children and hit their heads against rocks. It's okay to share what you're feeling, no matter what you're feeling. Not okay when you act that way. But it's in the Bible to give us a clear understanding of that depth of hate that the people of Israel had toward the two nations that had conquered them. And Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to die a most unpleasant death. And so he ran from his call from God for that very reason. In, in, in verse 2 uh, that I read earlier, he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I wanted them to die. I wanted you to exact revenge, God. I didn't want them to repent. I don't want to worship in heaven with them at some future time. I don't want them to have a room in my father's house. Jonah wanted nothing more to do with God's love for a hated people. And he tried to flee God's call on him. And even after they came to repentance, God hate, or Jonah hated it even more and cries, God, just kill me. This is the way you're going to act. Just kill me. And that's where the story ends. That's a harsh story. But it's all about a heart issue. Could it be that there are people that we hope we don't worship with when we get to heaven? Because wouldn't it be awful if God saved bad people too? <laughs> and then ask yourself, will they be alone in their worship if my heart is turned toward hate? Hate is so subtle today, uh, um, and, and it's kind of an undercurrent. We, we don't recognize it as much because um, it, it's just that there are certain people groups that our political party um, or our chosen news source condemns, and we just go along with it. 
But God wants everyone to come to faith. Everyone. God wants everyone to repent of their own sin in their life and to come to faith in him. Not just the people here today, not just the people watching online. And God wants us all to be the bearers of that good news. God wants us all to be in ministry for people, sometimes even those that it's hard to be in ministry with. Look, here I know, I know this. God's in control. Absolutely in control. I believe that. And, and, and the people that you choose not to love in ministry, they will still come to faith through God's work. So for you, it's a hard thing. Jesus says in Matthew 5.22, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, which was a, a derogatory term that meant something like you empty-headed fool. Anyone who says Racha to a brother or sister is answerable to the court. And if anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. It's a hard thing for us, and therefore probably a hard thing for us when our heart is turned against someone rather than as God turned toward them. God's called you to ministry in some way. Every one of you, God is called to ministry. No one is exempt from that idea. Sometimes you get the grand privilege of serving people that aren't like you or aren't liked by you. I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to say, and by the way, I said it more than once to my own children, <laughs> you don't have to like your brother or sister, but you do have to love them. And maybe that's the moral to this story. Amen. And amen.